Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be. You can begin to turn there. Shouldn't be too hard uh, for you to find in your Bibles as it is the first chapter of the New Testament. And we're looking at a message today just simply entitled Joseph uh, the Carpenter. Last week, we had started a mini-series together uh, regarding the people surrounding the birth of our Savior. Uh, If you were here last week, who did we talk about specifically uh, then on Sunday? Mary, right? The maidservant of the Lord. We're going to kind of shift gears. And today we're going to look at the man that God picked to be Jesus's earthly father, his earthly father. Uh, Matthew chapter one, we're going to see today that it gives us a much more condensed version of the Christmas story, the nativity, uh, rather than Luke. It provides for us the account from Joseph's perspective. Okay, so Two out of the four Gospels talk about the Christmas story. And here are the differences, okay? These are the differences between Matthew's and Luke's account. Matthew's account, what we're looking at today, focuses more on Joseph. Additional to that, it has the genealogy from Joseph's line. Now, Luke's account focuses more on Mary. That's why when we were talking about Mary, we looked at that account last week. And in Luke chapter three, it has another genealogy, meaning a list of ancestors uh, that, that uh, give Jesus the right to be uh, the king of Israel. And that's through Mary's line. So we have two genealogies and two perspectives. So last week when we read, uh, we saw how the angel visited Mary. Uh, this week, as we read, we're going to see how the angel visits Joseph and kind of an easy way to remember this, I like to tell you guys this every year because it's, uh, it's something helpful for me, uh, but the way that you can remember this fact of, wait, which one talks more about Joseph? Which one talks more about Mary? You can remember it by uh, thinking about how men and women or males and females tell stories, okay? I don't know if you know, but there's usually a very distinct difference between how men and women tell stories, You ask me, hey, what did you do yesterday? I will give you three bullet points and I will say, good day. You ask my wife what we did. Oh, we did this. And then we like dipped chocolates and and these are the different kinds of chocolates that we dipped. And then we we had this and it's much more detail. Why? Because God has typically made women a little bit more detail oriented. Uh, And go test it. Go ask your dad something and ask your mom and see see, see the difference regarding something that had happened. He's going to, you know, ask him about their wedding day. Your dad's like, yeah, we got married. Great. Your mom's like, oh, it was a wonderful day. And so here we kind of have that going on. Joseph's perspective, short to the point. It's what we're going to read today. It's it's basically Mary was pregnant and, and then angel visited me and I married her and we named him Jesus. Luke's account, much more detail. And so that, if that is helpful to you, you can take it. If not, then you can throw, throw that example away. But listen, God chose Mary to be Jesus's mother. We looked at that last week. But God also chose Joseph to raise Jesus as his own son. And so I want to pose to you the same question of last week. Of all the men in Israel at this time, why him? Why would God pick a man like Joseph? You know, we don't really have a lot of information to go on uh, regarding who Joseph was in scriptures. Um, 
different than Mary. Mary, we have a few other details after the nativity where whether it's during Jesus's first uh, miracle in Cana of Galilee, where they're at the wedding and Jesus' mother is there too and basically comes up to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. Uh, can you do something about it? And we see some more examples. Even later on, there's a few other times that she pops up. But Joseph, really, after this, uh, you know, there's, a, there's maybe one more time uh, regarding when they move to Egypt and then move back to Nazareth. And then at that point, you really don't hear anything about Joseph. Uh, it's assumed that by the time that Jesus dies on the cross, that Joseph was most likely had already passed and had, uh, was no longer living. Why? Because Mary, Jesus's mother, was there at the cross, but not Joseph. And even on the cross, Jesus commits his mother Mary into the hands of his disciple John to take care of her, assuming that Joseph was dead. Uh, we don't really see any, any other things when, uh, during his ministry life. And so we really don't know much about Joseph other than what we read today regarding his character, regarding his obedience, regarding who he was. Other than that, that we know that by trade, he was a humble carpenter. That's why we actually assume that Jesus before his ministry was a carpenter. You know, there's nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that says Jesus was a carpenter. Now we go based upon a really good assumption because we do know that Joseph was someone uh, of a carpenter by trade. And, and that's why they would save Jesus. Is this not Joseph, the carpenter's son? Um, but that's what we're going to look at today regarding Joseph. So Matthew chapter one, we're going to look at some reasons why he was chosen for the task at hand. You want to pray with me? Let's do it. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this time uh, gathering together. God, we thank you for Lord, the rain and uh, God, that you got us here safe. And um, God, we pray as we just take this moment to focus in on the nativity story from the perspective of Joseph. God, we pray that you would give us insight. God, we know these details aren't in there unnecessarily. They're in there for our learning, for our comfort, for our encouragement, and for our guidance. And so God, as we take a look today, we pray that you bless the message. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. So first we're gonna look at Joseph's family, okay? This is similar to where we started last week with Mary, uh, that there were some practical reasons why Mary would have been a candidate. And we looked at a few of those. And in a similar way, Joseph was a candidate, of course, because he was a male, but also because of who he was related to. Some of his family background, similar to Mary, also made him a candidate to be Jesus's earthly father. We see that the book of Matthew, look in your Bibles, verses 1 through 17. We're not going to read them today uh, for the sake of uh, our time and the point of the study, but you'll notice a whole lot of names. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We have a genealogy that starts from Abraham and goes all the way to Jesus, and Matthew is seeking to prove the fact that Jesus had the legal right to the throne because of his earthly father, Joseph. Now, we have another genealogy, like I mentioned, another list of Jesus's ancestors, who he was related to in the book of Luke. At the end of Luke chapter three, 
you have another list of names. This one is longer though. If you go to Luke 3 at the end of it, it's from Adam all the way to Mary. We believe that's the line uh, that Mary has. And so we get both of Jesus's parents, which Matthew records for us Joseph's, giving him the legal right to the throne. You'll notice a lot of kings that are mentioned here. It's because this genealogy connects him ultimately to David, but also through a line of kings that would give him uh, not only uh, a biological right, but a legal right to the throne. It's through Mary that he has the biological right. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, okay, in general, displays Jesus as king. So we have four Gospels, four records of the life of Jesus. In each one of them, display a certain characteristic about who Jesus is. Matthew displays Jesus as king. Uh, the book of John displays Jesus as God. Um, and then Mark and Luke, I, I always forget which one, but one of them displays Jesus as is in his humanity. I think that's Luke. And then I think Mark displays Jesus as a servant. And so each one has these uh, different focal points. And so the reason that the book of Matthew opens up with this long list of names isn't just because you know, uh, Matthew was trying to fill in some space there, uh, but rather he was trying to show the legitimate right that Jesus would have as taking the label of the Messiah or the King of Israel. And so here we have Jesus's family tree through Joseph, but similar to Mary, I think Joseph was much more of a candidate, not only because of his bloodline, but because of the man that Joseph was. You know, there were other men at that time who could have claimed similar uh, relation to King David. There were other men that God could have chose based on their background, their family relation. So why did God pick Joseph? Well, I think it was much more than his family. I think we find in the passage given to us, Joseph was a man of character because of Joseph's character. We're going to now start within the actual account, starting in verse 18. So verses 1 through 17 lay the foundation for the entire New Testament and the Gospels themselves, showing us that before we get into even who Jesus is, he has the legitimate uh, bloodline to be able to even uh, make such a claim as the Bible claims. But then verse 18 and 19 Let's read it together. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, uh, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, I've found that you oftentimes see someone's true character come out in difficult situations. You want to see what in, is in someone's heart? Put them through something hard. Because out of that pressure, out of that difficulty, what will come on display is really who that person is. And I think we find that with Joseph. Put in a situation, a predicament, a difficult circumstance like Joseph was, we see that who he was beforehand 
a just man begins to shine through. Now here's the situation. Look at verse 18. It lays it out super clearly. You'll notice the very bullet point type of reality. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. You'll see a, a colon, which means what is about to follow has to do with what was just stated. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph. So we see that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Now, for those of you that don't know, betrothal is a step above engagement. It was within Jewish culture. It wasn't quite engagement. It was a little bit more commitment than that, but it wasn't quite marriage. There was this commitment without living with each other. There was this commitment without some of the, the benefits of marriage. It was this one-year type of, uh, really a test of purity, a test of, of self-control and things like that, where they would be separated for a time and then ultimately come together before marriage. This took place during that year. Now, notice it says, then before they came together. So then bullet point number two in verse 18, uh, they were not sleeping together. They were not living together. This was not something they had participated in the past, nor were currently participating in the present. And also, even though this was happening, even though they were not married and they had not been sleeping together, Mary was found pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It was not the normal way, of course. This was something supernatural, which we got into all last week. Now, this is a big problem for a man like Joseph, who has limited details of what is taking place. Not understanding all the implications, this is a big deal. This is the woman that you are set to marry. And you know that you're not the father, but you know she's pregnant. What do you do as a just man? Well, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 56, we know that when Mary found out what we talked about last week regarding her pregnancy, she, it, it doesn't seem that she immediately told Joseph. It seems to be three months go by where she actually immediately goes to uh, her relatives, Elizabeth's uh, house. Remember, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. She was the one that Gabriel had even told Mary in that appearance, hey, God's already doing a work. Even your relative Elizabeth in her old age is pregnant and will have a son. And so she immediately goes there. And we're told that she stayed there for three months. Notice, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. Most Bible commentators and uh, Bible scholars believe that as she comes back then to Nazareth uh, from Judea, she has some news for Mr. Joseph. I want you for a moment, put yourself in his shoes. What, what kind of thoughts would, would go through his head? Well, we, we have a little bit of what he was thinking. Look at verse 19. We're told that him being a just man, being a just man, well, what did he do? Not wanting, his desire was not wanting to make her a public example. Didn't want to put her on blast. Was minded to put her away secretly. Now, this is important because this is almost the only, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the only characteristic that we find of Joseph. One of the only description, descriptions of what kind of man he was, we know that he was a just man. Now, what I want you to notice here, though, is that it says being a just man. The situation that he found himself in didn't make him a just man. 
He didn't then man up and make the right decision. No, in the past, before he got this news, before this, in, this dream that he's about to have where an angel speaks to him, he was being a just man. It wasn't that he was perfect, but he lived in a way that pursued doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This word just, you can note down, it means to be morally good, to be righteous or upright. upright. Because Joseph was just, it is that which dictated his actions. He was just, and so he then acted justly. Remember, not perfect, but on a pursuit of doing what was right. And this is before he ever finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now this word just, I wanna camp here for a moment. We find this word repeated many times in the New Testament. So the first appearance right here is Matthew 1, but throughout the, the way that the Bible is laid out, the New Testament, there's a lot, a lot of more times that this word is used. It's often used of the Christian of what happens when we are saved. So when a person receives Jesus as Lord, the Bible says they're saved and then positionally made just. They are, the, what the Bible uses is an elongated word of this, justified. Have you ever heard that word before? Justified. When we're justified before God, it means that God looks at us just as if we never sinned. We're made positionally righteous with God. Now we know that only happens because of Jesus's righteousness. But then the second way this word is used is what happens as a result of being saved. We then act justly or we do righteousness. Now we know that it's not our righteous deeds or us trying to do the right thing that gets us to heaven. You know that, right? As much, as many good deeds as you try to do and as many things that, you, oh, I'm just trying to do what is right. That's not gonna get you to heaven. It's as a result of being made justified with God, then we seek to act justly. Gene Getz, he is an author and a pastor. He says this, he says, acting just involves making the right decision at the right moment. I think that's good and, and worthy of our consideration. Acting just involves making the right decision at the right moment. Joseph sought to, to make the right decision at the right moments. And so when this moment came about in his life, this situation that seemed impossible, where he wanted to do what was right, he was going to then seek to do what was just because that was already something that he had practiced in his life. So he is betrothed, he's not legally married, and the future wife of his was pregnant and it ain't his child. So what does Joseph do in light of this? He has very few details, right? He's not yet had this dream where this angel speaks to him. So all he knows is what I just said. So in light of what he knows, we're told that, that this was his desire, this was his heart. Not wanting to make her, being Mary, a public example that Joseph was minded to put her away secretly. He was minded. Being the just man that Joseph was, 
he couldn't follow through with the marriage of someone who, by all natural appearance, was unfaithful to him and sinned against God. That was the appearance. But at the same time, Joseph didn't want to act harshly towards the woman that he loved. Joseph had every right to take her to the courts and have her tried to be a, what would have been appearance of sin. He would have been able to get out of it scot-free. Yet the Bible says he was minded. He was minded. That means to have an intentional thought about something or someone. His, he had a consideration, not just for himself. He knew he could no longer go through with the marriage based on the information he had. So that was the route he was going to go. But at the same time, he didn't just want to do the right thing, but he wanted to do it the right way. And in this way, Joseph tries to solve this dilemma the best way he could. The best way he could was that it, would, it was going to be a private and quiet divorce. He didn't want it to be a public scandal. He didn't want Mary to get in trouble. He didn't want Mary to be, uh, to repu reputation to be ruined. She would have been cast out from the synagogue. She would have been rejected from her family. So what does he do? He seeks to do the best he could with what he had. But what about us? Obviously, none of us will be put in this exact situation, but maybe someday similar situation. How do we match up to the desire in Joseph? Do we seek to act justly? Do we desire to make the right decisions at the right moments? Like Joseph, are we minded about other people and how our, affection, our actions might affect them? I think some good questions for us to think about. So why Joseph? Well, because Joseph was upright in his character. He was a just man. God knew that when it came down to it, when the rubber was gonna meet the road, Joseph was gonna do the right thing at the right time. And clearly, this was a quality that we see from him as a result of a prior relationship with the Lord. I don't think Joseph was just a do-gooder. I think he sought to do what was good in, because of his relationship and desire to please the Lord. And so it would be this very character that would lead, Joseph's, uh, lead to Joseph's decisive obedience, so I think his character led into his action. His character led into what we're going to find is his decisive obedience. Decisive means he made a decision and it was without hesitancy. He did it right away. Joseph's obedience. We'll find in verses 20 through 25. You guys good? You still following along? All right, look at verse 20 with me. But while he thought about these things, what things? The whole situation, right? While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus and called his name Jesus. So we see the obedience of Joseph on display in these verses. Now notice how verse 20 picks it up. Look in your Bibles. It says, but while he thought about these things, that idea is that he was reflecting deeply on this manner. What kind of thoughts do you think Joseph was thinking as his head hit the pillow that night? What do you guys think? What kind of, what kind of things were racing through his mind? Put yourself in his shoes for a moment, what we just talked about. What do you guys think? Betrayal? Yeah, absolutely. Hurt? What else? Confusion? What, maybe he was thinking, not Mary, I know her. Yeah. Yeah, fear? Absolutely. We know fear because the angel's about to say, don't be afraid. So maybe there's fear of how this was going to look, wanting to make the right decision. There was these thoughts that were going through his head. This wasn't an easy thing for him. This would have been hard. It would have hurt. Yet we find that in these thoughts that he had, who met him that night? It would have been obviously the angel sent by God. And I have found in my life, and I have found to be biblically true, that this is often where God meets us. It's in the thoughts of stress and burdens. It's in the thoughts of heaviness and hardship that God desires to supply us his peace, his presence, and his guidance if we would allow him to. And we find that for Joseph, he was met with God that night. And so during this night's sleep, Joseph dreams, and it's here where God dispatches an angel to speak with him. And there's two purposes. So if you look at verses 20 through 23, we find this angel appearing, and there's two purposes uh, behind the things that he says. And I want you to note these down. Instruction and assurance. Okay, when this angel comes, he brings some specific instructions, and he brings some comforting assurances. You'll notice that he says, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. And this shows us that there was certainly some fear involved. Maybe fear of, of handling it correctly, fear of how others might perceive it, fear of what would happen to Mary. But he assures him and tells him, instructs him, it's time to seal the deal. Take her as your wife. Marry, marry. And then two, he gives the instruction for the name. You shall call his name what? You shall call his name Jesus. The angel shares with Joseph the name of the, what the baby was to be. Now we know that in that culture, and if you're familiar with the birth story of John the Baptist at all, we know that in that culture, it was extremely common for the son, the firstborn son to be named after the father. So if your father's name was Joseph, then your name would be what? Joseph, if you're a firstborn son. We see that with John, where John the Baptist's dad's name was Zacharias. And so when it comes, he, uh, he's, it's a long, not a long story, but it's a story that we're not going to get into. Uh, Zacharias doesn't speak for nine months because of what the angel had, had done to him because of his lack of faith. By the time that 
that John the Baptist is born, they look to uh, first Elizabeth and say, what's the name of your son? And she says, his name will be John. And they say, what do you mean? You're not even related to anyone named John. That's not grandpa's name, not uncle's name, not cousin's name, not neighbor's name. That's no, who's John? And then they look to Zacharias and he says, his name is John. And that's when he can begin to, to speak again. You see, it was abnormal for the fact that even Joseph's son would be named Jesus, but this was the instruction given by God. And the reality of now Joseph naming Jesus, this would be a way where he would officially accept Jesus as his own child. It would, in a sense, uh, be that full acceptance. But then secondly, he doesn't just give instruction, but this angel gives assurance. Now, what are the assurances that that he gives. Well, he says, this is of the Holy Spirit. Because probably one of the number one things in Joseph's mind is that Mary did him dirty. That Mary was unfaithful to him. But he is assuring, say, hey, she is of the Holy Spirit. This is something I'm doing. There's this assurance that this is of me being God. I am working in this. This is what the angel communicates. But then number two, there's a purpose. He gives him a little bit. He says, this one that you're going to call Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. And this is one of the things that brings the most comfort and assurance is when you can see the purpose behind something. And so the angel is assuring Joseph that there's a very grand purpose in all of this. It's not going to be for nothing. So most of us, we probably won't have an angel showing up in our dreams, giving us a direct word from God. Uh, now, if you have that, it should, that might be one thing. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it with you whether you have that or not. But it should always be based upon God's word. And if you ever have an angel appear to you, okay, and, and tell you something contrary to scripture, that ain't an angel from above, if you know what I'm saying, Okay. Nonetheless, it's probably not something we're going to experience. But I would propose to you today that I think we actually have something better than an angel speaking to us. An angel speaking to me in a dream sounds pretty legit. Like if I was going through a difficult situation and I'm trying to get guidance on what God wants me to do, God, can you just send an angel? That'd be, be so convenient. Like, God, you see my desire is to do right, so just send an angel. I, I don't know about you, but that, that's something I would like. And at times you kind of ask God, God, can you just give me like a really clear answer? But I think we have something better. We actually have the same spirit who came upon Mary and did a miraculous work in her body is the same spirit who now the Bible promises lives in us, speaks to us gives us instructions, gives us assurance. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our assurance. Now, what's really cool, the angel appeared to Joseph. He, we know from scripture that he, uh, he got a couple more angel appearances. When uh, Herod was going to be killing all the babies, he goes to Egypt, the angel appears to him. And then one more time, he appears to him to send him back to Nazareth. But after that, I... I Doubt that they had a lot more appearances of angels. It's a few and far between type of thing. Does that make sense? But you and I have something daily in us and, and it is not something, it is him. And the Bible describes that the Holy Spirit is in us to help us, to comfort us. He instructs us not to be afraid. 
The Holy Spirit gives us instruction based upon the word of God in our current situations. He assures us that God is in certain things that we are unsure of, and the Holy Spirit's Spirit always brings us back to God's ultimate purpose. But sometimes you and I, we can miss out on God's specific instruction and comforting assurance because we live disconnected from the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible says that every day we are to walk in the Spirit. It means to be connected with God. Jesus said to abide in me. It means to to be relationally connected through prayer and I believe the word of God. Listen, at the end of the day, you can't bank on an angel coming to speak to you. Could it happen? Yeah. Will it happen? Probably not. But this is something you have in your hands and the Holy Spirit in you, when you read the word of God, illuminates it in a way where I'm telling you, after 11 years of walking with God, if you want answers, he will give them. He will guide your path. He will direct you. He will comfort you. But sometimes we want that, but we don't do what we need to get that. We don't walk in the spirit. We don't read God's word. And we wonder, well, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Of course you don't. But I think for the Christian that walks closely with Jesus, I don't really think you have often times where you say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Are there times when you need to seek God more? Of course. But I believe if you're connected with God through being through prayer and the word of God, for the most part, every day, you're gonna know what you should do. You're gonna know not only what you should do, but God's gonna supply you with the power to do it. Does that make sense? Look at Joseph's response. Look at verse 24 once more. He, he gets this encounter, he gets the instruction, he gets the assurance, and he wakes up. Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So listen, Joseph's initial reaction based on the information he had, he said, okay, a quiet and private divorce is gonna be the way to go. God speaks to him and rather than saying, well, I've already decided, He changes directions. Joseph pops out of bed. Notice what it says, aroused from sleep. This word, it means to be stirred up from sleep. It wasn't like he like, you know, he had a hard time getting up that morning. No, once his eyes opened, he was up. You guys ever have those mornings where you wake up and all of a sudden you're just up? Typically uh, the morning I'm most like that is Christmas morning because you wake up and you're like, you realize what it is. It's Christmas, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, this is great. I don't care that it's early. I want to get up. And sometimes your parents have to send you back to bed. Joseph gets up and he, he doesn't fall back to sleep. He doesn't have to snooze his alarm. He doesn't waste another second. The instruction and assurance that he received enabled him to be obedient. The implication is that he does this without hesitation. He doesn't seem to question, but obeys. He had what I like to call a ready obedience. A ready obedience is an attitude that when divine direction comes your way, that you are already predetermined to obey. Whatever God says is what I will do. And I believe because of his character, 
because of who he was, he had already predetermined what God tells me to do, I will do. So God, this is the direction I'm thinking. But if you intervene, I will go whatever way you tell me to go. And guys, this is how we're to live. You and I are to live with a ready obedience. Do we know all the answers? No. Do we always know what way to go? No. But are we open that when God gives direction, will we go? When we hear from the Lord, we don't hesitate, we obey. We live by faith, trusting the promises that God has given to us. It was because Joseph was a just man that he was an obedient man. He believed what the Lord had said through the angel and simply obeyed the instruction given. Notice what it says. It told, he roused from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, did not know her. It means that she, she was a virgin all the way up to Jesus' birth and beyond. And then after that, then they had other kids and he called his name Jesus. He did what God said. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And Joseph was just and obeyed because of, of his faith. Joseph's decision initially was based on inadequate information. He thought one thing, but what was the reality? It was something completely different. And so once given that instruction and insurance from God through the angel, he made, listen, what I think is the obvious decision of obedience. When you already have a predetermined I'm going to obey God, then when God's word intervenes in your life through a sermon, through reading, through a verse that someone gives you, through a bumper sticker, it doesn't matter where God's word is, it doesn't return void, then you say, oh, that, that's the direction I'm going to go. Daniel 1.8, we're told about Daniel, that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I think Daniel and Joseph are similar in this way. I think from Joseph's early days, he had already determined before and purposed in his heart that whatever would come before he even knew who he was gonna be, who he was gonna marry, the type of son he would have, he already had, I am going to be ready to obey God regardless of the repercussions. See, just like we talked about last week, just like for Mary, there would also be some repercussions for Joseph. Think about it. Him choosing to now take Mary as his wife, and obviously it would be clear that even though they got married, that, that they'd have a baby only a few months after they were married, it would be clear that something happened beforehand. Now it would look like they had both sinned together before they got married. Now, obviously we know both of them were pure and innocent before God. Through it all, they knew the truth and regardless of the repercussions of their obedience, they hung on to the promises of God and did what God said. And so I think Joseph serves us by being a really good example of what it looks like to become someone who is just in their actions and obedient in their responses. But at the end of the day, it is all about Jesus. 
As great as Mary and Joseph served to us, as I think really good examples, just like other men and women in the Old Testament and other men and women in the New Testament, notice how Matthew chapter one ends. Look at the very last word in Matthew chapter one. It should be in your, it should be all caps and it should say Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. Matthew one gives us a long list of names, right? Look back at verses one through 17, name after name after name. Then we read about Mary and Joseph, but Jesus, the Bible says, is the name above every other name. The Bible says it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Acts 4.12 says that no other name is given under heaven than which men, by which men must be saved it is the name of Jesus. As great as role as Joseph and Mary played, Jesus would go on to display the biggest and the best role. He would fulfill the reason that this angel told Gabriel that he was going to have this son. What was it? Notice. The end of verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. This is exactly what Jesus would go on to do. He would go on to become the savior of the world. And as the angel said, Jesus would save his people from their sins. And that's not just the Jews. It's to the Jews first, but also for every single person who would call on the name of the Lord. You see, this is the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus would go on from this moment from this moment, he's probably around three months old in his mother's womb, him being in the flesh. He would go on to live for about 33 and a half years. And during his life, Jesus remained sinless. He never lied. He never stole. He never thought an evil thought. He truly lived the life that we could never live, where all of us have already failed. Jesus lived it. He, the Bible describes that he fulfilled the law of God completely to the T. It was the same Jesus who would then be unlawfully judged during the night, would be unjustly condemned to torture and death upon a Roman cross. And what would appear to be his greatest defeat would be our greatest victory because on that cross, the Bible tells us that it was he who knew no sin that became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God or we might become right with God. He took the punishment that we deserve. We should have been on that cross, yet he took it for us. But praise be to God that he rose from that grave three days later. He defeated the power of sin, death, and darkness. He ascended to the Father and is currently seated at the right hand, making intercession for those that come to him by faith. And the Bible simply says that if you believe in your hearts what God did in Jesus Christ and you confess him as the Lord of your life, the Bible says you will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. This is the reason we celebrate. This is the reason we have life. It is all about Jesus. You know, Joseph had a decision to make. He went to bed thinking he would do one thing and woke up and he had a decision to make. What would he do with Jesus? Would he marry his wife? Would he take him as his own son? 
See, in a similar way, you and I all have to make that decision. What are we going to do with the Son of God? Are we going to reject him? Is he going to be someone we admire? Or is he going to be someone we receive? Is he going to be someone, as he gave his life for us, will we give our life to him? I encourage all of you to consider who your Lord is. And you want to know how you find out who your Lord is? See, Lord is the idea of master or king. You can always find out by how do you make decisions? Do you make decisions on what you want to do or what he wants you to do? And so if there's any, listen, if there's any gray area today, if there's any uncertainty, I don't know if you were saved when you rose your hand. Only that's between you and God. That's between your heart and his. I don't know if you were saved when you went up to the altar call or you went down at the harvest crusade. All I know now is if you want Jesus, then you call on his name and he will be there and he will never leave you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that you came, that you lived, you Lord, can so sympathize and empathize with us because you were tempted in all points, yet without sin. You are our great high priest. You have become one of us, but you did it as we should have and we couldn't. And so God, we thank you that you were willing, that it was the joy that was set before you that you endured the cross. We were that joy. You looked at us, you thought about every one of us in this room when you were on that cross and you took upon our sin with every lash that, was, that, was, that went against your body, with every thorn that went into your skull, with the spikes that went into your wrists and into your feet, with every breath that you had to take where you had to pull yourself up by your wounds, you did it for us and we're eternally grateful. And God, because of that, we want to live for you. We want to do what is right. Lord, of course, Joseph is a good example, but there's no one better than you. You always did that which pleased the Father, and that's what we want to do today. God, we want to be used by you. We want to spread your word. We want to be lights in the dark world, not because we're trying to earn something, but because, Lord, we're overflowing with celebration, with joy, with excitement. Lord, as you aroused Joseph from sleep, would you arouse us out of our sleep? Would we wake up and realize the greatness of God, the majesty of heaven, and the urgency of our time? And God, we love you and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 